I want to be remembered as a woman of God. My name is Candace Ward, and I am Legacy. I want my life to show that there is always hope. My name is Regina Byler, and I am Legacy. I want to be remembered as a joyful servant. My name is Dana Schmucker, and I am Legacy. My name is Glenn Sharp, and I want to reach the lost at any cost. And I want to leave this as a legacy when the Lord takes me home. I would like my life to be a testament to living faith. My name is Micah Noble, and I am Legacy. I want to be remembered as a confident leader. My name is Brooke Boyitz, and I am Legacy. I want to be known as a servant of Jesus. My name is Max Beck, and I am Legacy. I want to be remembered as someone who gave hope to the fatherless. My name is Terry Wagner, and I am Legacy. I want to be known as a warrior who stands up for my family. My name is Carl Whitmer, and I am Legacy. I'd like to be known as someone of acceptance and encouragement to others. My name is Sue Wolf, and I am Legacy. I want to be remembered as a dedicated Christ follower who seeks and saves the lost. My name is Keith Hankins, and I am Legacy. I want to be known as a God-fearing man. My name is Luis Espinosa, and I am Legacy. I want to be known as someone that served Christ to the fullest. My name is Dick Gingrich, and I am Legacy. I want to be remembered as someone who's genuine. My name is Kayla Salkert and I am Legacy. I want to be known for someone that puts others first. My name is Cody Powers, and I am Legacy. I want to be on mission to be God's hands and feet. My name is Julie Hankins, and I am Legacy. be known as a person of grace, faith, and hope. My name is Mike Flora, and I am Legacy. I want to be known as an instrument for God. My name is David Myers, and I am Legacy. I want to be remembered as a faithful servant to the Lord. My name is David Eisfelder. I am Legacy.
Woo, that moves me. How do you want to be remembered? Uh, I got to do this three times today. How do you want people to speak about you at your grave? What do you want the legacy to be remembered for in your life? How are you building that? What will they say when you pass on? How will they remember you? Behind me and in front of me are noble desires, noble character traits, traits that can happen in lives that can be impacted because of these traits for the good and cause of Jesus Christ. You and I are here for a reason. There's purpose to our lives. It's more than just punching in and punching out and then punching out forever. God created you. He created me with a destiny stamped out on our lives. He created us for purpose. And God did not send Jesus Christ to the cross for us to waste that. So today and in the weeks ahead, we're going to unfold this this legacy series. And my hope is this. My hope is that this year would be the year that either you rebuild on top of something that isn't so pretty, you renew and find Christ and build a godly legacy, or you build on top of what you're already building that's glorifying Christ. Really, that's what it boils down to. That's why we're here. We're here to impact others. It's not for us. We're not here for us. We're here to impact others. You will be remembered for something. In fact, right now, if life came to a screeching halt for you, you will have loved ones who will come to your grave, to your memorial service, and they will say something about you. What will they say? I've been the person who's been on the receiving end of those stories. I've been the person who have sat in the room with someone who has lost a loved one. I've sat on the couches. I've been in the homes. I've been beside the beds. I've been in the funeral homes. And I've asked this question to those that were gathered who were left. How do you want him, how do you want her to be remembered in this service? What is it about them that you want to continue on? When I stand there in this funeral service, what must be said about this person? Tell me. And so immediately I go on full alert and I, 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 I write down and I scramble for these stories. And so I work my way through the family and friends and I write down these stories of, of what they've done and what they said. But on numerous and numerous occasions, I've asked that question and there's an awkward silence in the room because they don't know. And, and it wasn't such a pretty story and it wasn't a great legacy. Please, don't let your life cause an awkward silence in that room. You were here for more than that. <laughs> Over the next few weeks, 
I'm going to try to assist you, influence you, encourage you, poke you, prod you, join you in trying to leave legacies that make a difference. A legacy is something that we leave beyond the grave. Listen to this legacy that was left beyond the grave. Listen to me and closely hear how this individual left his impact beyond the grave. Unfavorable winds blow the ship off course. And when they do, the sailors spot uncharted islands. They see half a dozen mounds rising out of the blue South Sea waters. The captain orders the men to drop anchor and go ashore. He is a robust man with a barrel chest, full beard and curious soul. On the first island, he sees nothing but sadness. Underfed children, tribes in conflict, no farming or food development, no treatment for the sick, and no schools, just simple, needy people. The second and following islands reveal more of the same. The captain sighs at what he sees. This is no life for these people, but what can he do? Then he steps onto the last island and the largest island. The people are healthy and well-fed. Irrigation systems nourish their fields and roads connect to villages. The children have bright eyes and strong bodies. The captain asks the chief for an explanation. How has this island moved so far ahead of the others? The chief, who is smaller than the captain, but every bit his equal in confidence, gives a quick response. Father Benjamin. He educated us in everything from agriculture to health. He built schools and clinics and dug wells. The captain asks, can you take me to see this man? The chief nods and signals for two tribesmen to join him. They guide the captain over the jungle ridge to a simple, expansive medical clinic. It is equipped with clean beds and staffed with trained caretakers. They show the captain the shelves of medicine and introduce him to the staff. The captain, though impressed, sees nothing of Father Benjamin. He repeats his request. I wish to see Father Benjamin. Can you take me to where he lives? The three natives look puzzled. They confer amongst themselves. After several minutes, the chief invites, follow us to the other side of the island. They walk along the shoreline until they reach a series of fish ponds. Canals connect the ponds to the ocean. As the tide rises, the fish pass through the ocean into the ponds. The islanders then lowers canal gates and trap the fish for harvest. Again, the captain is amazed. He meets fishermen and workers, gatekeepers and net casters, but he sees nothing of Father Benjamin. He wonders if he's making himself clear. I don't see Father Benjamin. Please take me to where he lives. The trio talks alone again, conferring amongst themselves. After some discussion, the chief offers, let's go up to the mountains. They lead the captain up a steep, narrow path. 
After many twists and turns, the path deposits them in front of a grass-roofed chapel. The voice of the chief is soft and earnest. He has taught us about God. He escorts the captain inside and shows him to the altar, a large wooden cross, several rows of benches, and a Bible. Is this where Father Benjamin lives? The captain asked. The men nod and smile. May I talk to him? Their faces grow suddenly serious. Oh, that would be impossible. The captain asked, why? He died many years ago. The bewildered captain stares at the men. I asked to see him, and you showed me a clinic, some fish farms, and this chapel. You said nothing of his death. You didn't ask about his death, the chief explains. You asked to see where he lives, and we showed you. Church, that's legacy. That's leaving a lasting imprint way beyond your life on planet Earth. That's a person who gets it. That's a person who has stamped this legacy trait far beyond their lives. That challenges me and hopefully challenges you to either stay on board or renew and rebuild or figure out where you're supposed to go. How will you be remembered? You see, legacy begins now. Legacy isn't something that you hope for. Legacy isn't something that that one day you'll accomplish. Legacy isn't something that necessarily happens at your death. You are your legacy. You live it. Every second of every minute, every minute of every hour, every hour of every day, every day of every month, every month of every year, and every year of your life, you are legacy. You are making an imprint on people's lives. What are you stamping on this world? Ask yourself that question. That keeps me awake at night. It should keep you awake at night. In the Bible is a a group of people that's listed. And if you were to travel to Canton, Ohio, or you were to travel to Cooperstown, New York, you would see some Hall of Fames. You can go to South Bend and see the Collegiate Hall of Fame. But there, there are Hall of Fames, and if you walked into this building, amongst the walls of this building are portraits of people who have done significant things that somehow were voted into this hall because of their ability to play a sport. And under their names, normally it's something that's listed or an artifact or something that they've accomplished that allowed them to become part of this hall of fame. And so they're, they're not much different than what we see. They're real people. And yet on those walls and in those buildings, people drive for, for hundreds of miles and come from all over the world to worship people because of an accomplishment on the field, because of a catch or a throw or a shot or a buzzer beater. When in reality, we should be thinking about how we're impacting people's lives eternally, not so they get a moment and they say, look at my team, so that their mark and their imprint changes the person's life to become more like Jesus. That's legacy. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to, to, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And in this book is what I call the Bible's Hall of Fame. 
There are people, if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to place one in your hand. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. And then this book is what I would call the Hall of Fame. Some would call it the Hall of Faith. These are individuals who have left a lasting imprint on mankind forever, and we're still impacted by their lives. Take your eyes and look down with me as I just walk through some of the names that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered God By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Verse 7, by faith, who? Who's the person? Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go out to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. By faith, he made his home in the promised land. Verse 11, by faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised to them. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God would raise him from the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, verse 22. Two, by faith, Joseph, when, he was, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated. Verse 26, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ and of, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on the dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute whom? Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? Stand with me. We'll read to the end of this chapter. Stand and read verses 32 through 40. And what more shall I say? Read with me. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, 
whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went out in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You may have a seat, but look back at verse 38. There's this list. There's this hall of fame. There are these names, these portraits, these people. And look what it says. The author of Hebrews tries to to give them a compliment. And so the compliment and the legacy that they left was this. Verse 38. The world was not what? Worthy of them. Church, think about this for a second. If you're standing at someone's funeral service and this was the legacy that was left behind, imagine that. The world was not worthy of them. And why is that? Why wasn't the world worthy of them? Because they lived their life in such a way that it reflected Christ and it impacted others. And not only did it impact others of the day, it's impacting us. Their lives speak more loudly now than they did when they were alive. That's legacy. So how do we become a person that the world is not worthy of? How do you become that kind of person? How do you you stamp out that kind of legacy? Well, first you do this. You make the most of every opportunity presented to you. You make the most of every opportunity. Every day presents a new course. Today is a new day. Today's a new day in your marriage. Today's a new day as a single. Today's a new day for you to to leave this place and live. Tomorrow is another new day. Every day is a chance to stamp your legacy, to build your legacy, to rebuild your legacy, to start your legacy. Every second is a chance to live your legacy. You are legacy. Deep down, though, you must come to a point where you ask these questions. Write these questions down. Because out of these questions will form how you live your life. The first question is this. What will my life add up to? Think about that for a second. At the end of your time, what will your life add up to? This is how you live. This is how you live. And so when people stand at your grave, the stories will unfold. What will they remember? What are you building You are building your legacy. You are legacy. So what are you doing? What picture are you forming? Another question you must ask yourself is this. What will I live for? (laughs) What will I live for? What is the purpose of my life? What will I live for? Whom will I live for? Why am I living this way? What will I live for? For this cause, for that cause, for this to complete that You must know what that is in order to live your legacy. Third question you got to ask yourself, how do I want to be remembered? Seriously, I mean, do you take time to ask that question? How do I want to be remembered? You know, what do you want to be said about you at at your funeral? What what do you want to leave behind? 
What is it about you that you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? And when you begin to answer these questions, you'll begin to see there's a path, there's a target, there's a purpose. Another question you got to ask, what will they say about me when I die? Stop right now and just pull away. Just do a reverse rewind of your life. Just, just go back one year. What would they say in this past year? What would be said about you in this past year? If that was the record of your life, what would they say? Just do it. Just do it. Go back. Think, 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 think. What legacy have you built over this past year? And then you have to ask this question. Why is it important that I live? If you don't know why you live, then you'll never achieve the legacy and the purpose that Christ has called you to live. What is your purpose for life? Why is it important that I live? Let me say, when I come out here on Sunday morning, I'm living this stuff too. It's not like I got this all together every week when I stand here. But out of me comes these questions and, 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 and the scripture just speaks to me. And so I have to ask myself that question too. And we asked it in prayer encounter a few weeks back and we were praying together and we broke in groups and it says, how do you want to be remembered? And I remember just been processing this for a very, very long time and I've been on this journey and to sum it up, it would be this. If this was said about me at my gravesite, that Jim loved Jesus and not only loved Jesus, but influenced other people to love Jesus, then I believe I've accomplished my legacy. If somehow I've influenced someone to, to receive Christ, if somehow I've influenced someone to get back up because God is big, if somehow I've influenced someone to, to sell out for Jesus Christ, if somehow I've influenced when I walked into a room or I walked into a social arena or if I walked into a coaching position or I've walked into my children's life and my wife's life, if I walked in and somehow I've influenced them to be more like Christ, then I'll tell you, then, then, then I believe I've lived my legacy. What is it for you? What is it that keeps you awake at night? What is the purpose for your life? Because when you find that out, you begin to make the most of every opportunity. And that's exactly what Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says. Seize the day, seize the opportunity because there's always an opportunity that's in front of you. And so when you look, this is how I'm supposed to live, then this is how I should act. And if I act this way today, I'll continue to act this way tomorrow. Even though there, I'm a, there's a battle out there, even when I fall, I'll get back up because this is who I want to become. And so it's this lifelong journey sometimes of falling down and getting up, falling down and getting up, and hopefully not falling so low. And it's this continually sanctification process of becoming more like Christ. But here lies the problem. Some of us still don't know what it is that we should be doing with our lives. We haven't taken time to pull away and ask God, why did you create me? Why am I in this world? Why am I here? What should I be remembered for? Others think that their dream or legacy isn't big enough. And some, quite frankly, have just given up on life. It's not the size of your legacy or the size of your dream that matters. It's the fulfillment of it. Every legacy, every legacy must include impacting someone else. Because what's the point to live for ourselves? And we see it all the time. 
Me, 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 more me. Can I have some more for me? Can I have that for me? Make me feel better. Oh, if I could have that. And that's why it's this endless pursuit of trying to pleasurize ourselves. And you see people who are on these journeys and they're trying to get more and bigger and better and they get to the end. Oh, I like her and I like him. And, and they pursue down the end. And they get to the end. They're empty and they wonder why they're empty because we were put here to impact others for Jesus. That's why we live. It's not for us. The very reason that God made us was to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love others. And so if you're not doing that, you're not leaving a legacy because no one will be impacted. Some of these individuals, look back at Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, some of these individuals, look, verse 36, face jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned and sawed in two. We read that and it's like, well, glad it wasn't me. I wonder who it was. He must have been something else. And we move on. We don't let it just, just rupture our hearts. They were put to death by sword. They went into sheep, were sheep, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. But they were commended for their faith. Some of these individuals faced extreme persecution because they wanted Christ to live through them. Your life must include impacting others for it to matter. If not, you might as well say, God, take me home because what's the purpose? What's the purpose if it's just for us? God didn't waste us and create us and put a destiny on our lives for us to just pleasurize ourselves and to make things easier for us. He wants us here to show Christ's love to others. We must seize every opportunity because you are a legacy, whether you realize it or not, and you are living your legacy right now. And you have a chance to leave a legacy that impacts people forever and ever and ever and ever but you got to make the most. You have to seize the day. And when you leave this room, you'll have opportunities and you'll have to seize the moment. You have to seize the day. What does that look like? It doesn't take us much to see a portrait of someone that's passed on behind us. And sometimes you might go to your attics and you open up these chests or you open up a photo album of someone from the past and there's a person and the life that once lived and walked on planet earth. And you ask the question, how did they impact the world? Does anyone remember them? And the reason the people remember people is because they've impacted their lives and their legacy lives on. There was a scene in a movie that I believe best captured legacy. It was a scene in the movie Dead Poets Society. It was a group of individuals, young private school guys that are seated in a classroom and the teacher comes out and he wants to introduce them to legacy. And so Robin Williams walks out and he tries to explain to them and encourage them to seize the day, carpe diem, to live each moment, take advantage of what God placed in front of them. And so he says, hey, you must take control, live in the moment. And so he gathers them, he walks into the room and he takes them out into the hallway. And now in the hallway of the school is loaded with portraits and pictures of people from the past. Not any different if you walked into a high school today and majority of these athletes are up on the wall. And so years and years and years have passed and there's these old black and white photos and Robin Williams takes these guys and he asks them this question about legacy. Watch this clip. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, 
Each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here and peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts, full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? same voice could speak today to us. Make your lives extraordinary. Probably truth be known, there was a time in your life that you were ready to take the world. You believed it was possible. Young, exuberant, healthy, strong, quick, smart. The world was yours for the taking and you had these lofty goals and lofty plans to, to be this or to do that or to accomplish that and to end up there. And then something happened along the way, this, this diversion. Maybe it was because of a poor choice or maybe it was because of sin or maybe it was because you just chose the, a different option and your intent was to get there. And before you know it, you're kind of like on this side path and you've been skirting on this side path for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And you knew you wanted to end up there. And you knew that's who you wanted to be. Yet you let this one diversion or this one habit or this one trouble or this one time of sin or this collection of sin and now you find yourself just kind of spinning your tracks going in sideways to where you're supposed to be going perpendicular and you wonder why can't I get there and yet somehow all you spend your life doing is trying to clean up this mess and God is saying I didn't create you for this there's so much more for you the more for you is that way And there's a variety of ways to get from here to there. One might just be simple, God, I'm sorry, forgive me and repent. 
and turn and go in an opposite direction. One might be, God, show me again. I've lost, I've lost my zeal. I've lost my passion. I've lost my fervor to walk with you. And as a result of that, Satan has me spinning my tracks. And all I do each day is exist. I get in, get up, I punch in, I punch out, I go to sleep, I eat, I punch in, I punch out, I sleep, I eat. And I've been doing this for 10 years and nothing's different. I'm the same in the same place I was 10 years ago. And I'm the same place. I haven't impacted anybody else in 10 years of my life. And you begin to believe that that's why you're created. God didn't create you for this. He created you for that. And I want you to realize that in the weeks and months ahead in this year, that God has something in store for you and you need to line up with that path and you need to go and become that person that Jesus died on the cross for. Yeah, it'll be hard. And it'll take time. Truth be known, time will never be given back to you. And some of you say, well, I've just wasted my life 20 years, 30 years. Why even try now? Because that one year, that one second, that one minute when you leave an impact on someone else for the cause of Christ could impact someone forever and they could impact someone and they could impact someone and your legacy could change. You are not too old, nor have you done something so bad that you can't start over. Your legacy happens every day. For some of you, it happened yesterday on the basketball court. For some of you, it happened when your team lost last night. For some of you, it happened on your drive to grace this morning. For some of you, it happened when you leave this building. But every second of every minute and every minute of every hour and every hour of every day is time for us to live our legacy and we can impact people around. And when we realize that we need to take the most of every opportunity and we're living our legacy, it changes the way we punch in on Monday morning. Instead of saying, I can't wait till Friday. It's like I can live when it's Friday. If I hear that one more time, oh, I'm so glad it's Friday. What about the rest of the week when you're supposed to be living for Jesus and work as if you're working for him and leaving an impact. Christ didn't die on the cross for us to live two-sevenths of our lives. Everything you do is important. And every opportunity that God presents will give you a chance to stamp your legacy and impact others. But you must be intentional about this. Because things won't happen just by chance. And some of you are hoping, boy, I just hope one of these days, one of these days, one of these days, I'll get it right. One of these days, one of these days, that's what I hope to be. One of these days, I will make a change. One of these days, I'll be a better husband. One of these days, my wife and I will communicate better. One of these days, we'll have this. One of these days, one of these days, and one of these days, before you know it, one of these days, you're dead. And that's what they remember. She kept saying one of these days. He kept saying one of these days. And you go to the grave and you don't live for Christ. You have to be intentional about it. Do you think Noah just woke up one day who's listed here? And he was just kind of in a sleep. And one day he woke up and there was a Menard's truck backing up in his driveway with lumber. You think, you think it's just like accident? Whoa, I'm, maybe God wants me to build a lark. Oh. Do you think... You don't think he was intentional about that, pulling away and asking God, and then, then he laid out a plan? Do you think that Moses accidentally ended up in a basket 
that just kind of floated down the Nile River and that the, the, these Egyptian women found him? Do you think he was, he, he was able to jump in that basket when he was just an infant and he couldn't walk? Do you think one day he said, oh, I'm going to walk. I think I'll jump in a basket. No, it was intentional. His family placed him there. Because they, they saw something in him that was different. And so they were intentional about, we need to save his life. Do you think uh, Samson at the end of his life, when his eyes were plucked out, because he, he had an attraction towards people he shouldn't have, towards women? Do you think at the end of his life, when his eyes were plucked out, when he was leaning against the tower, do you think that he just leaned against the tower and it accidentally fell over and a thousand Philistines were killed? No. He was intentional because something happened to him when he was grinding wine in that that wine press. And he knew he wanted to finish his life with purpose. He knew God put him there and he had wasted this time and he wasn't dare wasting the rest of his life. And he said, put me by the pillars. And they put him by the pillars and he finished strong. He lived his legacy. Do you think all these Hall of Fame candidates... Names were drawn from a bingo ball. Oh, there's Hall of Fame. Oh, there's Hall of Fame. No, they became people that the world was not worthy of because they had purpose in their life and they were intentional about it. You will never walk around aimlessly in this life and say, well, I'm going to make a difference for God today. Let's see what that is. Sure, God can move in those moments, but you must have a target in mind. Because when you fail to plan, you plan to, you plan to fail. A life of legacy will never be accidental. You must issue a target. And way too many people in our world are hoping for the best. Oh, I hope for the best when I stand before Jesus at the beam of seat. I hope for the best. Let me tell you, take your life by the horns and let Christ live for you and say, God, here we go. And yet... Some of you, you're just hoping for the best in your marriage. You just you wake up every day and it's miserable. It hasn't changed in 10 years. And you think, well, it's going to get better. And you don't have any plan of attack or any purpose for it. Or, boy, this job just sucks. And I got to punch in tomorrow at 5 a.m. It's going to suck tomorrow too. And so you just go through all the way through your life. You go to that sucky job. It's like, is that intentionality? Do something about it. Or I can't wait to get through this week so that Friday at five o'clock comes so that I can live. Oh man, when I, when I hear people say that, what about the other five days? You must grab a hold of your life with the help of Jesus Christ and establish a target. Let me ask you something. Don't raise your hand because it might embarrass all of us. How many of you have any kind of goals for this year for your life? How many of you have taken time, pull away, get in God's word, pray and say, God, what is it that you want me to do with my life this year? It's a new, new year, God, 2011. What do you want me to do with my life? And out of the time of prayer and, and reading his word, you begin to articulate a vision that's birthed from God, from the whispers and the promptings of the spirit, and you write it out. How many of you even have a list? How many of you are just hoping for the best? And, and so here's what happens. When you hope for the best, you never get the best because you never hit the target. Oh, I wonder what the target is. I don't know. And so you aimlessly live through life. Listen to me. Sets a target in your life. How many of you dads who are fathers here have taken your families together and said, okay, let's set some goals for our family this year. Let's get together. And you bring your family and say, my family, the Smith family, the Ward family, 
the Brown family. This is our desire. This is how we want to live this year for Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, there's nothing like pulling your family together and saying, all right, let's pray about this. Just two weeks ago, I got our family together and we're all seated. Josh is home from college and we begin asking these questions. Who do we want to be? Who do we want to impact? What legacy do we want to leave? How do we want to do that? What can we do? And out of that came these goals and out of that came some dreams and out of that came this, this, this document. If you walk in our house, you walk into our foyer, there it is, Brown Family Goals 2011. There they are. And so at the end of the year, at least we have something to measure and we, we can go back and say, let's see how we did through Jesus Christ and his help. Because if I get to the end of the year and don't know where I was supposed to have been, we have no accountability. We have nothing to measure it against. And it was so rich and so rewarding to sit with my kids and hear how God and the Holy Spirit was speaking through them and said, Dad, this is what we ought to do. Dad, I think this is the direction we should go. Dad, and hear my wife who is sensitive to the Spirit of God and loves Jesus Christ say, Jim, I think we should do this. How many of you even have a target? And yet you want to leave a legacy. You can't leave a legacy unless you are purposeful about it and intentional about it. There's no way Noah could have completed the ark without some kind of plan. The walls of Jericho would have never come tumbling down if guys didn't decide to look like idiots and march around and blow some horns. It would have never happened, but it did happen. I want to give you an example of this. One of the brightest, smartest colleges in our world has some of the brightest minds, Yale College. They did, they did a follow-up of some graduates of 1953. In fact, the Yale grad, graduating class of 1953 was surveyed to find out how many students had written goals. The 1953 graduate class, they asked this question, how many of you have, have written down goals for your life? 3% of the 100 had put pen to paper. Three out of 100 people that graduated in class had any kind of goals. 30 years later, that same 3% had accumulated 90% of the wealth of the entire graduating class. I'm not saying we're in it for wealth, but what I'm showing you and telling you is there was a purpose, there was a plan, and there was intentionality. They knew what they wanted to go. And now listen, how about us who know Jesus Christ? Don't you think he has a plan for us? With that in mind, what is it? Go get it. We have an unfair advantage with the Holy Spirit. Use him. Yet some of you will continue to suffer from short-sightedness this year. And all you wonder, boy, I hope I make it through the day. Made it through the day. I get to get up tomorrow and punch in again. Oh, that's going to be awesome. If you want to leave a godly imprint, read this book. The life-changing words of our, from God to us. Spend time in prayer. Fast and pray. Seek godly wisdom and ask God, what is it that you want me to become with my life? You see, Jesus even grew you think, well, how about Jesus? Well, Jim, how did Jesus set goals? <laughs> That's like a modern thing, isn't it? Goals, it's overrated. What do you think? And then, then someone said, well, then, then, then you're putting your mind on what you think God should. No, God is even in the planning of the goals. Jesus himself in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew. Now, I, I repeat this because some of you will hear this and you still won't set any goals. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature. 
He grew in his relationship with God and he grew in his relationship with man. Four areas to set goals in. If Jesus thought it was a good idea, shouldn't we? Jesus grew in wisdom. You, you, know, you think about his life. That means he wanted to make his intellect, his knowledge to grow. I mean, at 12 years old, he was amazing people. There's no doubt in my mind he was a reader that he spent time learning education. So, so should you. Set out patterns in your life where you're growing intellectually, reading, conferencing, and, and setting with mentors. Jesus grew in stature. You know what that is? It's health. Some of us say, oh, I can't get that one. No way. Wait till next year. Health. Jesus grew in health. Set a pattern because the healthier we are, it doesn't limit us from whom God wants us to be and how he wants to use us. And some of us limit how God wants to use us because of poor health choices. Jesus grew in his relationship with God. Times he pulled away, times he spent meditating. So should you. What's your plan? Find a plan. Jesus grew in his relationship with others. What's your plan? What's your plan to reach other people, to invest in other people? Four areas. Do you have them? And so as we sat as a family, those were the four areas that we filtered everything through. You've got to be intentional about it. Even our goals as a church. We want to leave a legacy here too because the saddest thing in the world would be if rider trucks pulled up tomorrow and unloaded everything from Grace Community and we closed our doors and no one in this community was impacted by us not being here. That would be tragic. Truth be known, it'd be tragic if a rider truck pulled up into your home, into your cul-de-sac, into your home, and you moved to somewhere else and your neighbors were not impacted by your loss. If that's true, then you're not leaving a legacy. When you have purpose, everything in your life counts. We stop saying, I can't wait for the weekend. We see the workplace as an opportunity to stamp our legacy and love on people who aren't very lovable. We see school as the greenhouse for our footprints. We see the pit stops along the way for chances to fulfill our purpose. We see the times that we stumble and get back up and make bad choices as opportunities to show others that with God, all things are possible. And with God, with God he can turn around anything. We're constantly leaving footprints that stamp our legacy. Each day as I wake, I ask God. I have this ritual of prayers that I, that I walk through. And one thing I pray, God, use me today to, to impact other people for Jesus Christ. Help me to see them more than I see me. You see, because your life lives beyond the grave. And may you live in such a way that your death is just the beginning of your life. That's legacy. May you live in such a way that your death is just the beginning of your life. These individuals kept the message alive by dying for the message and the cause of Christ. And in verse 37, it says that someone was sawed in two. You know who that refers to? Isaiah. And there's times in my life when I have to go to the book of Isaiah and I just need to know that God's a big God and remind myself. And I read through Isaiah and I'm overcome and overwhelmed with how big God is. And you know who is speaking to me? Obviously it's God, but it's Isaiah and he's been dead for a thousand years. 
And then if I need encouragement to think, man, how in the world is God ever going to work this out? I can go back to someone who was in the fiery furnace that they're talking about, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I can go back and say, Jim, remember the time when all the dudes were standing in the furnace and everyone else burned up and they were roasting marshmallows? God can do that for you. And their lives continue to live beyond the grave. My greatest strategy would be for my life to end the moment I die. Your greatest strategy would be for your life to end the day you die too. We must live beyond the grave. Jonathan Edwards was born in 1703 in East Windsor, Connecticut. He attended Yale University. At age 13, he went later to serve as the president of the College of New Jersey, now called Princeton. When he was just 20 years old, he wrote a list of personal resolution, personal goals when he was 20. Among them was, ask myself at the end of every single day, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. He was intentional. So he got to the end of the day and he said, where could I have done better? There was an evaluation at the end of every day. In no area was Edwards resolved stronger than his role as a father. Edwards and his wife, Sarah, had 11 children. Despite a rigorous work schedule that included rising as early as 4.30 a.m. to read and write in the library, extensive travels and endless administration meetings, he always made time for his children. Indeed, he committed to spending at least one hour a day with them. And what if he missed the day because he was traveling? He would make the hour up when he came back. Numerous books have been written about Everett's life, his work, his influence on American history, and his powerful professional legacy. But the legacy that Edwards would probably be most proud of is his legacy as a father. The scholar Benjamin Warfield of Princeton has charted 1,394 known descendants of Edwards. What he found was an incredible testament to Jonathan Edwards. Of his known descendants, there were 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 pastors, 60 authors of prominence, three United States senators, 80 public servants in other capacities, including governors and ministers to foreign countries, and one vice president of the United States. The history and the story of Jonathan Edwards is an example of what some sociologists call the five-generation rule. How a parent raises their child, the love they give, the values they teach, the emotional environment they offer, the education they provide, the influences not only, this influence not only their child, but four generations to follow. What fathers do, in other words, will reach through the next five generations. The example of Jonathan Edwards shows just how rich that legacy could be. But the five-generation rule works both ways. If we fail to work at being good fathers or neglect, our neglect can plague generations. Consider the story of Max Jukes. He was a contemporary of Everett's, born during the same time. As an adult, Jukes had a drinking problem that kept him from holding a steady job. It also kept him from showing much concern for his wife and children. He would disappear sometimes for days and return drunk. He made little time for loving and instructing his children. Benjamin Warfield also charted Jukes' descendants. What he found further supports the five-generation rule. Warfield was able to trace 540 of Jukes' ancestors. 
they offer a stunning contrast to the Edwards' legacy. Of Duke's known descendants, 310 died as paupers and beggars. At least 150 were criminals, including seven murderers. More than 100 were drunkards, and half of his female descendants ended up as prostitutes. Legacy matters, church. It just does. It matters how we live. Today, you must decide how you will live your legacy. There's nothing greater that could be said about any of us than at the end of our lives, if someone would say the world is not worthy of them because of the impact they left concerning Jesus Christ. Will you be another portrait on the wall, black and white, that no one remembers anything because you lived for yourself and the impact doesn't go beyond the grave? You must follow God and grab his heart in order for that to happen. God, I pray today, I pray for these people here in the link and I pray for the people here in the main and South Bend, Mishawaka. I pray, God, that we would follow hard after you. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to become intentional and that we would set a target in mind and that we would begin to renew, rebuild, to start our legacy now and that we would live it every second of our lives. Help us to follow after you. In Jesus' name, amen.